All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, TV, books, experiences, music, things that have built us up as people. We hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. That's some witty dialogue. Hell yeah. If ever I've heard some. Oh, girl, I know. Uh, and if you haven't done so uh, and you want to get the show in your feed every Tuesday, uh, make sure to subscribe on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. Um, Lex, you brought in a movie to us I today. Did. I did. I brought one in. Uh, it a small, was a small, uh, tasteful leather briefcase. Oh, yeah. I brought it to you. It was really sweet. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. But make sure to carry it in that hand, you know? Um, Lex brought in the 1940s classic, His Girl Friday. Classic. Uh, it's directed by Howard Hawks, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Nyak, 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 nyak. Um, so, <laughs> Lex, uh, pitch us why you brought this in. All right, why did I bring this movie in? I adore this movie. It is it is one of the classics of the screwball era, and it is masterfully directed, masterfully performed by the cast. Like you say, Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell, also uh, Ralph Bellamy. Even the supporting characters are so wonderfully fleshed out. And if you like dialogue as much as I do, this is one of, in my opinion, the best talking movies ever and by that i mean not just the fact that you know like the old sound pictures were referred to as talkies uh but i mean if you love almost lyrical dialogue if you're like uh uh uh, like an aaron sorkin fan right like yeah if you get if like dialogue is like pornography for you right this movie is probably going to be your jam (laughs) <laughs> Probably, I would think. Again, now, of course, uh, like we talked about when we talked about uh, M a few weeks back, for a lot of people, obviously, uh, it's a pretty old movie at this point. Black and white is a barrier to entry for some people. The fact that uh, American movies of the time, including this one, were a bit stagey, though here it's a little bit appropriate because it is based on a play. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the front page, which was adapted into a movie a couple of different times. But... If you can get past those things, uh, there's so much here. And again, like the the dialogue is so rich and so layered that I had to watch this thing. I've I've seen this thing a bunch of times and I still feel like I am noticing new lines and new moments every time I see it. Yeah. Uh, This was my first time watching. I'd heard people use the phrase like his girl Friday a lot, um, which is not uttered a single time throughout the movie. No. Um. And I've, I, I think as recently as this year's Oscar, they were doing a, um, like a tribute video um, to like funny women in uh, cinema history. And there was a scene from this one where um, it's the divorce scene where she's talking about um, like divorce is supposed to make you miserable. Um, 
And so I, I've known of it's been in my periphery for a long time. And it's it's a widely beloved movie amongst uh, cinephile filmmakers. Like Quentin Tarantino has talked multiple times about how much he loves this movie. In fact, uh, he he quotes it almost verbatim in Kill Bill Volume Two. There's a scene uh, very very early in the movie when the bride Uma Thurman is talking to Bill David Carradine outside the chapel where she's about to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Carradine says to her, I'm more or less particular who my gal marries, which is a line swap out gal with uh, wife. And that's exactly what Cary Grant says to Rosalind Russell in one of the opening scenes of this movie. Yeah. Um, So it's, it was really interesting going back and kind of seeing uh, this like super fast pace. Like, cause I know that I feel like a lot of older movies definitely like took their time with the way that they, um, did dialogue and scene shots, but this one was so rapid fire that like they squeezed so much into such a short amount of time. Like it's exactly an hour and 31 minutes. So like um, they managed to go through so many different story beats just in that amount of time because they're able to just kind of compact all this information into these scenes. Right. It just goes, 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 goes. Howard Hawks at one point said he wanted to break the record for fastest film dialogue up to that point. Interesting. Now, I don't know whether or not that's something uh, he verifiably succeeded in. He, he liked to tell stories, uh-huh. uh, but but it's a fun thing to consider. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if they ever make Hamilton into a movie, that record's going to be broken, son. Oh, indeed. Hell yeah. Uh, but speaking of Howard Hawks, Howard Hawks is one of the most influential and diverse directors that a lot of people have never heard of. Uh-huh. Uh, I just want to real quick, like I pulled up his filmography and I want to just read off to you a couple of titles. Uh, let's see. Let's start with. Uh, All right. Uh, the original Scarface. That was his uh, 20th century uh, b- b- bringing up baby. Another screwball comedy with Cary Grant. Uh, Only angels have wings. Sergeant York ball of fire uh, to have and have not the big sleep. The massive uh, bogey and Bacall picture. A uh, couple of great Westerns like Red River, Rio Bravo, El Dorado. Like this dude ha- did, did so many different types of movies uh, all with equal proficiency yeah um and and of course like his his screwball comedies became they, they have since passed into legend you know what i mean like they're they're uh, often cited as the pinnacle of that genre and of course his girl friday being no exception yeah um do do you have any context in terms of like where the name comes from i, did, I don't like i've done i did i'm gonna here's my full disclosure okay um when I saw the movie, uh, the the main thing that I wanted to do research on was the ending because it was the only thing I took umbrage with. And so, like, all my research was about how people felt about the ending. And so all the, like, other stuff fell by the wayside, which we'll talk about the ending towards the end. But Interest, um, it's Yeah, okay, I'm very curious to hear your take on the ending. Yeah. Because so, I, mean, I get it. I, I do get get it but i want to hear you lay it out and then i yeah we'll we'll talk about it right um so i'm just it makes me wonder also where the term his girlfriend like the little research that i did says that like someone who who's a friday is is like a master servant relationship sort of like an indispensable assistant right. so right so girl friday being a play on man friday which i believe um is a reference originally to robinson crusoe oh okay that's what I got for you. 
I mean, that's all I need. Yeah, it's just a spin on a term that historically means yeah, like an indispensable assistant or, yeah, in a lot of cases, I'm sure, servant. Right. And so this this movie, when it was a play, um, the Hildy character was originally a man, right? Yes, and it was uh, uh, almost a sort of a... a an early, early, early version of like a, a modern bromance, you know, like that obviously was not a term that existed at the time. Right. But it's about two guys that have similar temperaments and they they team up the way, similarly to the way that uh, Walter and Hildy do in this movie. But obviously uh, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not that into each other in that way. I mean, if they remake it, I'd love to see a, a male, male version where they were married or are married or something to that effect. I'd be into it. I'd ship it. We can get who who be a good who be a good person to play the updated characters. Uh, um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham. Um, no, you can't you can't <laughs> partner them up on every movie. Why? <laughs> because they they don't fit the you, you 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 they don't fit the casting, bro. I I can't see them as hard hitting journalists. But we're but we're but we're updating it. We're making it sleek and modern and no. and gritty. You got to keep the you got to keep the spirit of the project. Um, so like what the spirit of the project? The spirit of the project. Yo, we're just we're just digging it up and dressing it differently, man. You ain't respecting the spirit or nothing. I'm so let's just it. let's just go hard. Let's go fucking hard and raw and smell what the rock is cooking. I mean, by the end you'll be going raw and hard if you know what I mean. I'm remaking it into a porno. I don't want this. Are you sure? I'm really sure. No, it was your idea. You were like, let's make it gritty, raw, hardcore. Um, let's really get in there and dig dig in. So I'm just taking your lead. I'll be honest. The longer you talk about it, the more appealing it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that, like, uh, that, that would be really interesting. But, I mean, back on the idea of this gender-swapped thing yeah I, I i i like that one thing i did read about is how hawks he wanted to do this movie because the idea of a uh, gender swapped hildy brought in additional layers and it, and it added kind of a new perspective on the on the whole situation because like yes if it was a dude trying to keep his buddy uh in his employ it would just be um it, it might be a fun buddy buddy romp where you know he's he's doing all these things to try to get him uh get him back but in this scenario there's a very specific power dynamic that one wasn't really a thing in the 40s like 40s was just before the nuclear family thing was very popularized um but still there was a very subservient idea of women have in the household or whatever i mean this is just post world war ii so like women had taken on the workforce but it's still like we were moving into a different perspective on women Mm -hmm. um so the idea of having this fully fledged um self-actualized woman on on the same footing as all these men in this career was really seems super innovative and uh does actually provide a really interesting perspective yes and and again like you say uh these these um these these changes were were fairly recent you yeah. know at the time and and just for additional context right and we we talked about it as well when we were talking about M 
this now, this was 1940, so that puts us only 13 years after the first sound feature. Yeah. You know, so that additional context, right? Because there's a lot of things that, again, we as modern viewers tend to take for granted repeatedly. But big picture, this stuff was only a second ago, right? And these these events were even closer together. Yeah. So yes, all of these, you could call them innovations, I suppose. Though, again, this should have been stuff that we were on top of a little bit earlier <laughs> in terms of... Uh, uh, equality etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah maybe we should have we should we're still we're Look, still working on it yeah it's, it's a humanity is a it's a work in progress yes uh the the moral arc of the universe tends to bend toward complacency um <laughs> so uh yeah but just additional additional context there cool so i really i really liked everything about hildy um uh Rosalind Russell's performance was very well done. Yes, and I think it's worth noting that Rosalind Russell was not the first choice for this part. In fact, they went through a number of other actresses who turned the role down, including uh, Catherine Hepburn, Claudette Colbert, Margaret Sullivan, Ginger Rogers, Irene Dunn, uh, Jean, Jean Arthur was actually offered the part and was suspended by the studio for refusing to take the part. So like nobody, oh. nobody wanted this. Why? I, you know, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it was just too progressive for the time in that, like, no one wanted to try to portray this this uh, role that could get them seen as uh, make them out an outcast or something. It's the same, like, for the same reason that Denzel doesn't kiss white women. Perhaps. I, I suppose that might be a factor. It might have been... Uh... Like, Carol Lombard might have taken the part, but I think at that point, she was too expensive. I think she was freelancing, and she wasn't under contract at a studio at that point. Yeah. So they couldn't they couldn't afford her. Right. But it might have been her. Maybe she wanted it. Maybe. But she's just like, yeah, I don't want it that bad. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they're, the only history knows exactly why all these people wouldn't touch it, but... I think that they landed at the right person. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this, the, the role is entirely hers. Yeah. So, um, I don't, I feel like at this point I am going to throw down the spoiler wall because I think we should start getting into more like plot specific stuff. Um, just cause it helps to kind of paint why she's so good in this role by speaking about it in specifics. So if you haven't watched it, um, spoilers for an 80 year old movie yeah i mean we're gonna spoil it but it like if you i would say that like if you have the chance to pause this and come back um then you I mean you can watch it uh for free on 2 tv yeah the uh, the copyright lapsed at a certain point and wasn't renewed so the film is public domain right so uh it's super easy to find um and we've we've just said a bunch of cool things about it so if that didn't convince you just know that like the story is really interesting. It's riveting. There's heart to it. And it's also very funny. So, yes, uh, and, and insanely well performed. And we, we've talked a bit before we get into spoilers. We talked a bit about Rosalind Russell, but also Cary Grant in this movie. Like this is far and away my favorite Cary Grant performance. Yeah. Um, I think this is the first time I've seen him do anything. Really? Yeah. Huh. So uh, like no, no Philadelphia story for you? No. No uh, North by Northwest? No. No? No. This is the first thing I've ever seen of Cary Grant. I know the name. I've just never seen him perform. Cary Grant was like, um, I feel like I feel like there are a few stars of Hollywood's golden age that you can almost trace a direct line to modern day movie stars as far as 
like, for example, I feel very much like George Clooney is the Cary Grant of today. Okay. And I feel very much like uh, Tom Hanks is kind of like the Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And John C. Riley is definitely the Carl Malden. Um, I don't really have a point beyond that. Uh, other than Cary Grant is great in this picture, and we'll talk more about their moments together, I guess, the, the further we progress. we got to hop the wall now. Yeah. So we're jumping over that wall. So if you would like to go into the movie as fresh as possible, this is your jump off point, and this is where you'll jump back on. Uh, so spoiling in three, two, one. Oh, my gosh. When they blow up Carrie's head. So crazy. I know. I really liked the part towards the end where Carrie Grant and Rosalind Russell hold hands while they watch all the credit card buildings explode. Yeah. That's my favorite part, the, too. The Pixie song starts playing. Mm-hmm. 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 And it's crazy because, like... Pixies didn't even exist yet, but like they found a way to get it in there. It was incredibly prescient. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they were looking ahead. Right. Of course. Um, I mean, that's the power of Hawks, man. He, he, you could say that he has a Hawks eye for the future. I could, but not gonna. Oh, okay. Well, um, everyone else will and did. (laughs) As soon as I said it, everyone at home threw their fists up. And we're like, fuck yeah, Hawks Eye View. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, so um, Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell, they play off of each other really well. Um, there's a, a definitely like a chemistry between them, uh, but there's also like an organic feeling that they've known each other forever, mm-hmm. um, which is partially the writing, but also just the way that they interact. Um, you you get a very big feeling that they're always trying to anticipate the other's moves, which also adds to their like cat and mouse game of um, uh, of what is it Walter of Walter trying to keep Hildy in his grasp. Yes, and you can see immediately why these two people might have fallen for each other in the first place because everything he can dish out and look let's straight away let's not let's not bury the lead any further like Walter's a total bastard oh yeah he's a he's terrible he's a he's kind of a monster um and it and they over time like just expose how far he's willing to go but like when you first meet him he and and it's when Hildy goes to talk about that she's leaving and he spends his whole time like the first thing he does is uh just like a casual um ca- you know just some casual sexual harassment he's like hey you want a seat here's my lap baby and she's <laughs> like no thanks i don't want it uh and f- just from there he just skyrockets into scumbag yes um, but and you almost you almost don't care because Cary Grant is so charming in it. But if you take half a step back and consider any of Walter's actions in this movie, he's a horrible person. Yeah. The lengths to which he will go. Like, nothing matters except getting the story. And he will he will do anything and he will overlook anything and he will stop at nothing. He has no scruples whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but dang charming. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Like, I, I think since I don't have a... A history with Cary Grant, I, the, I, I felt like I felt the weight of everything he was doing as he was doing it. <laughs> That's fair. 
I I just because it it because I think especially because the first person you meet is Hildy and she's so beloved like the moment she walks in everyone is greeting her then she is unmistakably the protagonist of this film yes and and right away like it's established everybody like you say like loves her but also respects her as a writer and a reporter yeah like she's renowned for her abilities and like all of the men in the room not they're not totally deferential but they don't act like they think less of her just because she's a woman doing quote unquote a man's job right and so so then to go from that to her being in this room and this guy essentially just trying to reduce her to his wife, his, his like accessory. Um, it just paints him in, in such a gross color. Yes. Um, and then you just see his slime sliding across the rest of the movie from the moment that like, cause they spend a good five minutes of her just being like, just trying to get out the fact that she's leaving and him just trying to weasel his way into like remarrying her. Yep. Um, and then from there, he's like, look, I'm going to force my way onto your lunch. I'm going to get your, your fiance arrested three times. Three times. I'm going to like try to scoop you into this story. Um, I, and, and ultimately like they end up working together. But up until that point, he was the main obstacle for her yes it, it, through a certain prism walter is very much the villain of the piece yeah i don't necessarily watch it from that perspective but uh because it's not really the tone of the thing but in terms of subject matter he really he's the closest the film has to a primary antagonist right we can talk about how the corrupt uh, mayor and sheriff aren't the most savory people doing savory things yeah but to me their presence is more it's, I, I don't want to say incidental because it's very much the plot and that's a big part of what the plot hinges on, but they're they're not a consistent presence in the movie. They're right. not they're not the ones whose machinations do hang over everything. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I would say that like by classic literary standards, they would be the the most equivalent to a B story um antagonist, whereas like the main antagonist be, by definition, who is someone who stands in the way of the uh, and the protagonist's goals is Walter. Mm-hmm. So, like, he is by definition the the bad guy in this story. And the only point at which he stops standing in the way of the protagonist's goals are when he has sufficiently warped her goals into his right. Um, this is a little fucked up. It's real fucked up. <laughs> um. I I just though I think that the way that it plays out is is also really well done. There's a I think I was talking about in M how the people felt like real people. Mm-hmm. Um and there is that aspect even though with the the way that the dialogue is written and how fast and heightened everything is, there's still a groundedness to the way that everyone performs. And the you can almost assume that like because they are fast talking journalists, that's just the world that they live in. That like it it doesn't separate you from the reality of the situation because of the characters they're playing and the world that they live in. Right. And so um I I did really like that um, everyone essentially is playing 
their characters to the top of their abilities. Like Walter is skeezy because he's so driven. So like the the idea of like the same skills that allow him to be a great uh, reporter are the same skills that allow him to Just be, be a, a manipulative total asshole. Sociopath. Yeah. Right. Um, but also like you you kind of get this feeling about uh, about Hildy as well that yes, she wants to be a human and she has a heart to her, but she also is a very passionate reporter. And there is a part of her that she would be giving up if she decided to move away with this guy, uh, Bruce. Bruce Baldwin. Yeah. Poor Bruce, played by Ralph Bellamy. Oh, yeah. Um, but at the same time, that's it's her choice to give that up. Yes. Um, which I feel was taken away from her. Is this so? This I think starts to get at maybe what your issue with the ending is, but I feel like we're even even still we're jumping way ahead. I mean, we are jumping way. Ahead. I mean, if we if we wanted to, we could kind of break down the 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 general plot of the movie. I feel like that'll be helpful for context. Yeah. So, like, uh, the a plot is essentially uh, Walter is trying to get Hildy to stay in. They're in New York, right? Washington? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> he's trying to get her to not move away to Albany. Right. Um, and so what he does is he continually tries to stall her leaving because she is engaged to a, an insurance broker and uh, they are set to marry the next day and they are leaving on a train at four o'clock. So what he does is he keeps using stalling tactics to keep her there and then he uses the bait of a hot story. So the hot story is the B story in which we have a man, uh, uh, his name is Earl Williams. He was imprisoned because he shot someone. And so they're trying to essentially railroad him into being hung so that the sheriff can get votes for uh, re-election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mayor also has a, a, a little stake in this. And so the, the mayor is also trying to railroad it so that everyone gets their win right before election time. Yep. Um, and so essentially it's what starts as just her doing an interview with this man in order to get some extra money for her husband, um, which is part of a, a, a essentially like a con over con from Walter trying to stall and her getting over on Walter by doing the job so that they can get the money from him. Um, so what turns from an interview becomes essentially almost like a, uh, like a hostage situation to a, not even what I, I can't even describe what it is that she like starts hiding. The guy comes for her yeah, because he feels a he, kinship, right? He escapes from prison. And he just he shows up and that's how we arrive in that scenario. Right. And so she's she's protecting him, but it's mostly for the sake of uh, for the sake of getting the scoop, not necessarily because she cares about him, but she might. Um, I mean, because she stayed because the the bait that was given was that if she leaves, this man is going to be hung and the blood is on her hands. So it essentially is the way that she got convinced. So she might care about him a little bit. She goes as far as to like... I feel like there's one character in this movie who genuinely altruistically cares for Earl Williams and it's uh, Molly. I mean, maybe though. When The first time you meet Molly, uh, who is 
as as described by Earl, his girlfriend, but as described by her, she just met him once. They talked for an evening and then like never touched each other. Right. Um, and the reporters reported on that. And she's like, these are all lies. Everything's a lie. So like, as far as I'm concerned, like she, they're not a couple. Well, they're definitely not a couple. Right. But I guess she does care about him. She, she's the only one who seems to actually be advocating for his character. That's true. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Here, you take this one. You get one point. I'm going to put it in my uh, nice, tasteful leather briefcase. Ooh, I like it. But only hold it in that hand. Um, <laughs> so, like, those are the A and B stories. And they eventually, like, come together in the moment that... Hildy is starts protecting Williams, um, but and I guess technically there's like a the the B story, C story I guess with the sheriff and the mayor is that they in their attempts to railroad this they're trying to desperately find Williams so that they make sure this happens. But like the governor also had already issued a reprieval. Reprieval. That's what it's called, right? Reprieve. Reprieve. Um, I think I'm thinking of reprisal. Yes. And re- anyway, um, I was I was with you though. I was I was on the train. The train was moving. Train oh slowed gosh. down for a second, then picked up. Hell we had yeah. to like shovel more coal into it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. shoveling coals like a big brand bowl. Anyway, uh, we had to like tap X or whatever it is <laughs> in, in in Red Dead yep. to drive the trains. Totally. Somebody stopped mashing X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like that like their mom was like pizza rolls are ready and, and like, you're oh, like fuck oh, pizza yeah. rolls yeah oh damn I forgot to pause shit and shit, then they shit. come back with like fucking like greasy fingers and shit yeah and yeah you get that like those weird grease marks all over your controller because mm-hmm. the controllers are black and that that shows up real clearly D- definitely and then you like you see it and you feel bad about yourself because you're such a slob <laughs> but then you go back to eating pizza rolls and you're like life is good life is good <laughs> this is all I want um and that's how he spent the summer um. <laughs> But yeah, so there, so there's that C story, which introduces us to what is probably my favorite character in the whole thing, which is um I is forget. The, the let mess, me see. What is his messenger. name? Huh? The messenger. Yes, the messenger. Yeah, agreed. Which is like believe, pin, I, pin, penny pole, something like that. Yeah, I just think of him as the messenger. Um, he is so I. He's, I, I he's would a say perfect he's character. The, yes, this is a, just a perfectly realized creation. <laughs> I would say that he's the most charming character in this whole movie. You just really feel for the guy. Yeah. Because um, in in trying to be bribed by the uh, the sheriff and the mayor, the the mayor is promising him all these real great things. Right. So that he so that he won't he won't deliver a message to to the two of them. It's just like you didn't you didn't you didn't see us you weren't here we didn't get this so that they can proceed as planned right and he's not having it at all he's like i was here and 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 the mayor offers him to be a a signatory or something to that effect and he's like i don't want to do that i have kids and my wife what will my wife say but but i think it's important to clarify that he's not doing this in an obstinate like standing on principle way he's a little dim yeah, and and the reason he's saying no is because he's not really following the conversation. He's a few <laughs> steps behind. Right. Oh no, it's it's completely in earnest. Yeah. Um. All of these things are coming at him very fast, and he's 
uh, he's still real rooted in his own in his own world. Like, like for example, it's like you know, like how much do you make per week? He's like, uh, uh, what's he say, like thirty dollars a week, something like that. Yeah, and and then it's like, how'd you like to make? Three hundred something dollars a month. That's almost a hundred dollars a week. And he's like, oh, I, I couldn't afford th- who me like that shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I love that when he comes in at the end. There's there. Uh. There's just a really wholesomeness to this character when he comes in at the end and he's like, "Look, guys, I just I can't I can't not deliver this thing. It's my job, and I'm gonna do it. And if I don't, my wife will be mad. And what will my wife say? Like that guy." gets me i i would like i'd be friends with that guy he seems fun you know i hope i hope in the non-existent uh in the non-existent sequel to this movie he ends up being the sheriff oh that'd be nice yeah right i don't know that he'd be particularly great at that job but that'd be nice yeah i'd be happy for him maybe he'd be the mayor fine i could see him being a mayor yeah for sure so in the in the my headcanon sequel, that guy's the mayor. Mayor Pennypole. That's his name. It's like they mumble it a lot, but I'm pretty sure it's Pennypole. <laughs> um, yeah, but everything about that scene, everything about that character is absolutely wonderful. I'm glad that this is your favorite character in the movie because I'm pretty sure he's mine. Um, the the public officials compared to our leads are a little bit little bit bland by comparison and i believe that's very much how they're written right but then all of a sudden this dude pops into the scene and suddenly it's like there's a live action cartoon character talking about it's like the proto space jam because suddenly you have these real actors talking isn't it sad that space jam is my point of reference for this (laughs) um you know what it's not sad i stand by it space jam is uh, a movie um yeah you got a slam welcome to the jam bro uh distracting um (laughs) (laughs) but it is it really does feel like all of a sudden this cartoon pops into this scene with these two guys it's it's a really really it's a great scene it's a great character yeah i agree um so speaking of characters that are a little more or intendedly bland we i feel like the shorthand for boring character is accountant or insurance broker yes um but you have to feel really bad for Bruce. He, he he asked for none of this. He didn't. He as far as he knew, he was he was going to on a quick trip to a, a, an, an old office of his fiance's right before they went on the train. He had some business to take care of, but it ultimately ended up with him being um with him being arrested. Right, like Walter and his attempts to sideline Bruce sets him up to be arrested three separate times right which is insane um and he just he has no idea how out of out of his depth he is Mm -hmm. and even even when his mom shows up which that character was really fun as well yes um i i expected her to just start beating everyone up with her purse (laughs) um but i i i i felt bad that his his whole life trajectory was just thrown out of whack because of one small visit. And and he also was so keen on just believing and, and liking Walter that he never saw it coming that he could be uh, bamboozled. Mani- right. Yeah. And like that this guy could be that manipulative. Mm-hmm. You know, like he really does seem to consistently want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. To, to his own detriment. 
Right. But, and, and, <laughs> and I, but I will say that when we get to the moment of him pleading with Hildy, um, being like, I'm, I'm leaving on the nine o'clock train. You don't love me. I felt like that moment. I, I don't, I don't feel like it was earned for that character. How do you mean? Um, what I mean is that he had, he had gone through a lot of stuff that evening and she's, she's like knee deep in the story and he could have taken that moment to be like, she's doing this thing and then we can go. But he's like, if you don't leave at nine o'clock right now, you've never loved me ever in the history of ever. In his defense, a lot of bad shit has been happening to him. And even though she doesn't know about it at first, at a certain point, she chooses actively to deprioritize that. (laughs) And that would probably hurt my feelings, too. I guess so. Especially especially when the guy who's manipulating everything is her ex-husband that's true my feelings would be hurt a little (laughs) yeah but they they literally keep saying like a man's life is on the line and he's like well i just want to get on the train (laughs) but but again in his defense right like yes maybe hildy was the best there is but someone else could have covered that story the reason it's her now like yes she commits to it in earnest but the reason that she does so is because she was actively being manipulated by her ex-husband. Right. And so under the circumstances, I like try to put yourself in his position. Like I would imagine that would be crushingly powerfully devastating. Yeah. Like just like the, in one day. You mm-hmm. know that's all it took was one day. And then like re- you, I feel like you'd have to act, like was it all meaningless? Like really is it after after this time after we were going to get married? Like really? Yeah. Really? Like somebody else could write the motherfucker. I yeah. I mean, I get it. So f- from his perspective, I I can sympathize in saying that like there you could get this idea that you were just like a fill-in for the the space that your that that your significant other's husband left. Um especially seeing them working together so synergistically. Like, and again, even though Walter is a total monster, you can see to a large degree what drew them together. Because even though he's horrible, they do have genuinely compatible personalities. Right. And I guess earlier in the movie, he does say something like, I almost feel bad for standing between the two of you. Um, the, the, the prime word in that sentence is almost. Right. Um, so, like, you can get why... Like, but that, that use of that word means that he feels a little bit threatened. And, and it's also like compounded when we get that non genuine moment from Walter, but it's a moment indeed where he's like, if I die, you know, all my money's going to Hildy, you know, just want to take care of her. And you get that like old timey. Uh, discussion between them about like who's gonna take care of this woman but my but my favorite part about that exchange though is is walter's utterly feigned emotion uh-huh. where, he, where he pulls out the handkerchief and it's like who's who will look after her after i'm gone some something to that effect right dabs his eye with the handkerchief realizes that bruce is not looking taps him on the shoulder so that he can turn and see him <laughs> dabbing his eyes <laughs> Yeah, you gotta. It's like it's like when you have a baby and and you leave the room while they're crying. They'll stop crying. They'll follow you. <laughs> make sure you're looking, and then they'll bawl their eyes out. Yep. 
You gotta, you gotta do it. What's the point of crying if no one sees you? <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> That's how it works. What do you, you, what you cry alone? What are you, some kind of fucking, fucking lone crier? What, what, what do they call you? You're a town crier. <laughs> I don't know. You, 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 Tom Crier? John Crier? That's a person. That is a person. Yeah. What are you, fucking John Crier? <laughs> he's, uh, he's on Supergirl now. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are you, what are you, some kind of g- g- lone crier? Crying is for other people. <laughs> That sounds healthy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel I feel bad for that character, especially because of the way that it all ended. And now I'm ready to talk about the end. Yeah. Okay. So now we've we've done a I think a pretty thorough job contextualizing the ending. Um, we we get to the end where um, the story is about to wrap up in terms of both runtime and the story that they're writing and as a as a almost like a last ditch reverse psychology thing walter's like hey you got to go get on that that plane not plane you got to go get on that train be with your man oh boy i've I've, i'm ready to give you up i was jealous and he like smooches her on the face and at that moment she becomes re-enamored with him and decides to not leave with Walter and get remarried or not leave with um, Bruce, but get remarried to Walter. Um, and I did not like that. I so hated it so much. Talk, talk me through why you feel that way. I feel that way because this we spent the whole movie uh, essentially with this woman who was always 10 steps ahead of Walter like she knew him because they had been married and she left him because he always prioritized the job over her and she was essentially building her own life allowing her to make her own choices and be with the person that she wanted to be with who was going to treat her well Um, and but we get to this point where they're working together again and like they've spent, I will say at this point, maybe 10 minutes of the hour and a half long runtime together. Um, what with, so at that point we had the scene in the office, we had the lunch, uh, and then we had brief conversations between them on the phone, mostly with her yelling at him about how shitty he's being getting her, her husband arrested. Yeah. And then, uh, then they're back together around when, like, so when Earl Williams comes and and confronts her, and it turns into a, a hostage situation of sorts. Yeah, and she decides to help him. He, she they hide hide him in a big desk, and so Walter ends up arriving on the scene trying to figure out how we load the desk out. Right, and so it's them trying to figure that out, and he does this this bit where he convinces her that like this is the most revolutionary story and they'll name streets after her and i didn't think she was falling for it but she jumps right on mm-hmm. and from that point on she starts looking at him with goo goo eyes there's a moment where she like sits on the desk and is like looking up at him as he's on the phone um and they get handcuffed together and they get out of the jam and she starts reminiscing a little by little she's like oh man we we uh 
got out of that other jam that other time. But like it's established by this point that they're very bad for each other. They are the worst for each other. So especially as both co-workers and as a couple. and But we get to this point where she not only takes him back, but decides to work again for the newspaper. And the last line is him being like, hold your, why don't you carry your own shit in that hand? Yeah, yeah. before, before <laughs> that line even, they're going to cover a story in Albany and he's like, maybe Bruce can put us up. Oh, geez. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, the movie literally ends with him shoving her suitcase back into her arms. Yeah, uh... I, I like they made so much progress. And then for the villain to win in the end, like just having worn her down and having like crushed her relationship in only a day, which is a bummer. Yes, it is. Is and I don't disagree with you where the character of Walter is concerned. Okay. And I do not disagree that we spent a lot of time establishing that these people are terrible for each other. He brings out the worst in her and she can't help but continue to enable the worst in him despite her own protestations. Right. Um, having said that, I think these are two people who deserve each other. Walter is the bigger monster, certainly. Uh huh. But I, I was listening to you talk about how uh, we backfill what their marriage was like as far as how he treated her. Yeah. But consider how she treats Bruce in this movie. It is not dissimilar. Maybe, but that it's only because she becomes, she gets in the presence of, it's like when you go home after a long time and you're like, yo, motherfucker, I'm woke. I'm hella woke, yo. I know everything. And then you start like devolving into your old self. Yes. It's exactly like that. And so like, I think that if she had left with Bruce, she would have reached a better place in her life. Oh, completely. So the fact that like she, it's not necessarily a happy ending I know. but i think she does i think it's actually exactly like what you're describing right like the the devolution that does happen when you've been away and go home but at a certain point even knowing full well that walter had her fiance arrested three times and he's been actively manipulating her from the beginning even knowing that she makes an active decision to recommit to that life yeah in my headcanon sequel <laughs> Um, we start, we open with her talking to Mayor Pennypole and she's, uh, and we find out in their conversation about how, uh, right after they left the reporter's office, she got, uh, she got him arrested for having all these crazy mob ties. It was a sting, and It was all yeah. a bit. Yeah. It was all a bit. <laughs> and, and, uh, she's, she's now in charge of the newspaper uh, and everyone still respects her. She's the greatest newspaper person. And there actually is a Johnson Street um, because of how great her newspaper has become it, under her tutelage. Uh, and uh, Bruce decided to stick around, gave her another chance. 
and is a, a house daddy. Like she had babies and he's like, you know what? I don't have to work. Like I can do a couple commissions, but like I'm a house daddy now. It, I guess it works if she actually does have Walter arrested. But in a world where that sequel didn't happen yet. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm writing it right I'm, now. I'm pretty, I, I am I feel like Bruce gets as close to a happy ending as he could scrape together for himself insofar as he finally decides I'm not going to put myself through this anymore. Right. Um, I mean, and there is an argument to be had that even though, uh, even though Hildy is woke as fuck and, 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 and her evolved self, like she did actively decide to do the petty thing and go to Walter's office just to rub her engagement in his face. Right. So maybe she wasn't as evolved as you would think she is. And and again, like she actively knowing the kind of person Walter is. Yeah. And knowing that her fiance is on this trip with her, she still actively chooses to go meet with him. And that's what sets this all in motion to begin with. Right. So look, Walter's the, the biggest monster of this story, certainly. But I think, think the two of them are far more alike than certainly Hildy herself wants to admit, but I think ultimately her actions and her decisions bear that out, even though she is definitely being pushed in that direction over the course of the entire movie. Right. I'm just saying that she deserves better. Hildy deserves a, a, a better existence. Uh, you know what? Yes. Uh, I agree. Uh, I wish I wish for her, her for her <laughs> own sake that she had not decided to go and do the petty thing and, and rub Walter's face in the fact that she was engaged. But in a world where she actively chose to do that, I feel like she's she's strong. She is capable. She is excellent at her job. She is respected. But for me, it really does come back to look at the way she herself treats her fiance in this movie. Right. She and Walter have so much more in common than they don't. Yes. I would say that, like, I think that if I were to boil my issue down into just a, a, a it's minor, minor chords, um, which is how English and music works, um, I would say that, like, I think that my issue is because it is so it's very painfully human their their actions are so human in that like we are so prone to backsliding and making the the wrong decision in times where we could have taken another turn that i think that that is why i took issue with it in that like she's not a perfect person right and so when you when you find that you are back in the vicinity of someone who you shared a lot of chemistry and, and the same like passion and drive with that. It's easy to just fall right back into that comfort. Right. Like I get it. Right. I understand it, but also not for nothing. Right. You really think this new remarriage lasts more than six weeks? No, no, I don't. And then what'll happen is she'll get engaged again eventually and then need to rub Walter's face in it. <laughs> and suddenly the whole, all this has happened before and all this will happen again. Oh, man. I guess. Over, over lifetimes, they keep being reincarnated <laughs> and doing the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Poor Bruce. 
Poor, poor Bruce. But Bruce is going on to the better life that you want for some of these people. <laughs> yes. Bruce will find someone who loves him for him and isn't going to leave him at a moment's notice the night before their wedding, which I assume was expensive. Probably. And, yeah. And night before, like, you're paying for all of that, even if there is no way. So you better just have a big party. Yeah. Like, invite everybody anyway, but put a big... um. Like, you know how some theaters will put a sign up front on a stand that says, in tonight's performance, the role of brr, 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 will be played by the, brr, brr, not the person right. you were thinking. Yeah. Um, one of those, but it just says, uh, uh, today the role of the bride will be played by nobody. <laughs> unless unless somebody wants to get up here and just like read lines. We're not actually getting married. We, you can do the part if you want it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we're just going to get drunk and party. I mean, enjoy that's the catering. How you gotta do it. Right. Enjoy the catering, man. Like, yeah. Let's get let's actually use this shit production for use and whatnot. Uh <laughs> so so I don't know. Hopefully it all hopefully it all shakes out for him. I hope so. Maybe maybe he it's like the inverse. And once that happens, like uh he goes and, and he takes solace in uh the arms of, of a lady from his past that he still he realizes he still has strong feelings for, but they are in fact decent people uh-huh. who complement each other. Right. And he lives happily ever after. Good. I'd hope so. Um and I hope that Hildy drops uh Walter like a bad habit. But and I then, really I of course again like the, I, their relationship I truly believe I, is gonna be cyclical over and over again. And I know it's going to be, but it's what I want. Like <laughs> <laughs> are my needs not important to you, Lex Michael? <laughs> um I mean also because I also feel bad for Louie who is uh Walter's main grunt. Yes. Who it will go life and limb <laughs> Just he he is like a puppy who will do anything for Walter and Walter don't care. Walter's like, you got an accident? Well, you got to go get some dudes to help me move this desk. And he's like, but I almost died and got arrested. And he's like, well, you know, I got needs, bruh. Well, doesn't he also not seem to know whether or not Miss Baldwin died in that crash? (laughs) (laughs) And that's Bruce's mother, by the way. Yeah, I know. Like not only did Walter get him arrested three times, he may have gotten his mother killed. <laughs> oh, what a monster! <laughs> and Walter just does not care. It's not. We might have found out that information if it was important at all to the people in a position to ask for it. Right. I mean, we we eventually find out she's alive, <laughs> so that's nice. That is nice. Yeah, a resilient uh, old lady. Yes, but but all the same, he may well have killed Bruce's mother. <laughs> yeah. um, oh man, I just, if there are any really talented uh, animators out there, I really want to this. Just I get this image of Bruce's mother. Um, purse in hand as the cars are colliding she hits the other car with her purse and it flips over both cars <laughs> and they're just like circling each other in the air, yeah. like falcons mm-hmm. that's how it happens so if any of you guys are talented enough to put that together I will uh, I will give you all of my love and my wishes <laughs> people like love and wishes right I do it's a currency that everyone accepts. I can't pay rent with it. Oh, are you sure? But I, but I like it. Oh, okay. I like it a lot. <laughs> Have you tried wishing that it paid your rent? Every month. 
and the bill still comes. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right, so we're getting low on time. I feel like we've spent so much time talking about how monstrous many of these events are. Um, we should again pause to reclarify. This movie is also very, very funny. Yes, it is very funny. It's it's played with a with a certain lightness that almost makes you forget how genuinely terrible these people are. That's true. Um, yes, like the the part of the uh, I feel like I'm throwing on my stupid professor hat and 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 elbow elbow pads. Oh, you know the but the, you're in that hat. The root of comedy uh, is all about timing and speed. That's uh, that's why things uh, usually when you watch a comedy, the the dialogue has to be very fast and quick and all that stuff. And uh, I feel like this really delivers on that concept. Like, it, it's Gilmore Girls' level of, of speed, and it's ex- expertly uh, executed. You know what I'm saying? That's, uh, that's what makes it so funny is, is how on the ball everyone is. Oh. Took me a second to key in, because when you started doing that voice, I assumed you were going to stop at a certain point and then say what you were going to say, but you didn't. But then I got back on board, and I'm, I'm taken with the notion of comparing this film to Gilmore Girls. I uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which I have not seen, but people people uh, definitely seem to like it, and it is known for witty repartee. Yes, it is. Uh, that's an interesting comparison. I mean, I think that in terms of you, like you, you compare it to Sorkin, and so I'm I'm going with my frames of references, um, which is Gilmore Girls. I've also never seen it, but I've seen clips. I've seen clips. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's the same. I got a gist. I got the gist from the clips. Clips, gips, gip, clips. <laughs> Just clip. Yeah, right. Hey, <laughs> go, 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 to, go to the tube for the just clips. <laughs> um, but we, but but uh, speaking of the dialogue too, uh, something Hawks was actively encouraging on set and actively facilitating and creating space for was uh, ad libbing, improvisation, um, and some pretty some pretty famous examples from the movie come from Cary Grant. The line when uh, he's telling his uh, lady flunky to go pester Bruce downstairs. He's like, well, what does he look like? And he says, uh, 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 that, that fell in the movies, uh, Ralph Bellamy, the actor playing Bruce Baldwin. That's something that Cary Grant just threw out. Or there's another instance where he's talking about somebody who he, uh, he had some trouble with in the past, a guy named Archie Leach, which is Cary Grant's birth name. Oh. I don't know where Cary Grant came from. That might be something the studio was like, well, you can't have that stupid fucking name. This name sounds badass. That sounds like a dude who fucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but uh, uh, Rosalind Russell actually hired independently her own writer to write ad-libbed lines for her, and then she would just start to sneak them into scenes. Interesting. And I think at the time, Cary Grant might have been the only one who caught on to the fact that that was happening and would like casually rib her about it. <laughs> um, but worth noting. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to start wrapping us out. Um, if there was anything that someone should take away from watching this movie, what do you feel that is? It, I, I almost feel it's hard to put succinctly, but for me, my favorite thing about it, obviously, it's it, it incredible movie for dialogue, but also I love the notion. A lot of romantic comedies don't work for me necessarily, um, largely because I feel like that it's just about two pretty people, will they or won't they, and the characters are not necessarily that 
compelling because they don't necessarily have to be. A lot of these movies aren't going for that, so it's not a failure on their part. But that keeps me from being able to engage much beyond, oh, look at how pretty those people are. Yeah. Maybe my favorite thing about this movie, other than the dialogue, is that your two ostensible romantic leads are such dicks. (laughs) They are just such dicks. And ultimately... Though I do completely get where you're coming from on your your negative feelings towards the way the story resolves, I really do stand by my assertion that these are two people who completely deserve each other. Okay. Um, but that's that's one of my favorite things about it. Uh, but it's it's a fantastic movie. Going right back to where we started, tremendously written. Uh, it is tremendously directed, tremendously acted. Check it out. Like, this is a movie that honestly, like, you know how, like, uh, sometimes you'll be up super late and you'll be halfway towards passing out and you just want to throw on a movie that you have seen before that you can half watch but still feel totally engaged in while you're half watching. Yeah. A lot of times, like, for me, a lot of times, like, I'll throw on a Marvel movie or something like that. This is a movie I can do that with. This is a movie I can just throw on as if it's like a Marvel movie or something, though, course is there's no there's no big cg hulk monsters uh but <laughs> Cary grant does turn into a space wraith at one point mm-hmm. um but, uh he wanted to get all the inf- he has the infinity stones and that's why he's such an effective manipulator exactly yes. he's changing reality <laughs> with the reality stone um <laughs> uh but but it, it's one of those for me it feels so almost like comfort food to me at this point and there is a musicality that the biggest uh the reason, the biggest reason I use Sorkin as a point of comparison is that there's almost a lyrical quality to the dialogue, much like there is to a lot of his. Uh, but it's it's tremendous. It, yeah, check it out, and it's easy to find. So go track it down. Nice, you heard it here, folks. Don't go sleeping on uh, his girl Friday. Nah, nah. Don't go sleeping on his. Girl Friday. I don't know what's happening. You get it. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us on Missing Out. Um, again, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to get this in your feed every Tuesday. Um, and then also our Monday mini show, Missing Out Mondays, uh, where we tell you what we're into for the week. Uh, Lex, where can people talk to you about stuff? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tari J. That's T-E-R-I-J-A-Y. But more importantly, you could find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, and you can also call the Missing Out Hotline, which is 978-MISS-OUT. Let us know what you're into. Let us know what you think about His Girl Friday. If you've seen it, if you can't, if you haven't seen it and you're like, I can't find it, leave us a message and we'll tell you. <laughs> um, uh, I have, uh, if you've got a couple bucks for it, I would highly recommend the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Okay. That's how I've got it. It's also got the, uh, on a separate disc, they restored the original, I think it was 1931, front page, which uh, it's it really interesting to watch as a point of comparison. Also, that movie version was produced by Howard Hughes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Interesting. But I would highly recommend if you've got, you know, Criterion discs are anywhere from 25 to 30 bucks normally. But if you feel like shelling that out, I highly recommend it. They did a pretty tremendous job on the restoration. Awesome. Uh, cool. Well, guys, thank you for joining us again. We will see you next week. Until then, this has been the retrospective that's introspective. And now you have a new perspective.
Talk about lyrical quality to the dialogue. Hell yeah. We're like the fucking Gilmore Girls Sorkin up in here. What? Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.